Welcome back to 24 Faithful Podcast. We are excited today. We are reviewing season two as a whole, just kind of doing a quick review over the whole season. Um, I think we're going to mostly focus on the second half, but uh, just kind of get our thoughts overall uh, since we know that there are several things that we weren't able to get to and some things that we just kind of mentioned in passing. And so we're just going to try to see if we can catch a couple of things. Um, as we wrap up here. So today, joined again by Joel Wood and Bradley Adams. Good to uh, have you with us, Joel. And uh, Bradley is actually calling from us on location today from Autobahn Park, Kentucky. <laughs> on, his, uh, on his road trip. <clears throat> well, excellent. Well, thank you for dialing in there Bradley yeah I don't I don't actually know where that is at all like, I could not place that on a map if you well, gave me a map well it's and in Kentucky so, so it, it well, that's the point I couldn't even place Kentucky on a map so I mean it is rather <laughs> wonderful that I am actually here yeah, um well, it's a good thing you got a uh, reception out there because I heard the, the the cell reception out there is terrible hmm yeah I have found that yeah all right. Well, anyway, so as we delve into season two here, uh, or as we wrap up season two, um, coming into here. And so for me personally, I just overall, it seemed to be better than what I remembered. It had been several years since I watched it. And so there was a lot more good parts than, than I remembered. I remember I ranked it on the lower half of the seasons. So if this one seems to have been better than what I remembered. I have a lot of hope for a lot of the other seasons coming up, so I'm looking forward to that. Except for season six. Yeah, not season six, trust me. Worse, well, that, that was the bottom of the list, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, if anything, that, that could actually move lower somehow. <laughs> That's definitely probably worse than you remember. Yeah, yeah. And I think you are right. I mean, season two, I actually had that, but in both directions, I felt that at the start, the first sort of four, three, four episodes, um, I talked before about how the third episode is great and the bombing of CTU is great and really intense and sort of one of the highlights of the, the early part of the season. But I think the early part of the season overall was a lot worse than I remember season two being. And then around about the time, it was a little bit of when Nina came to CTU or when Jack and Nina went off and did their stuff and a little bit of... And it was, or rather certainly when Kate was kidnapped um, and sort of became relevant to the story suddenly, from that point onwards, it became much better than I remembered. Um, so you did have a little bit of a divide, I felt, at the start where it took a while to get going. It took a while to sort of find how it was going to work because obviously season one being so family-oriented, so very focused on the kidnapping of Jack's family, and the revenge against Jack and the revenge against David Palmer and all of this stuff that, that's, that's very heavily focused, very personal, grounded level story, how you then translate that and, and change that into we're stopping a million people getting killed. I think they did struggle a little bit, perhaps, with that that jump. Um, but sort of seven, episodes, seven, eight episodes in, they actually worked out how to handle it and it ended up, a really, really good season. I um, I enjoyed most of the season. Um, 
like I mentioned uh, last week, I thought they spent entirely too long on the uh, the recording and whether it was real or fabricated. I thought they spent uh, a few too many episodes on that. Um, <clears throat> but other than that, I thought I kind of liked the, the villain, Kingsley, um, better, actually, than I liked uh, the season one villains. Um, I thought that, because uh, I've I, I said it before, I wish Kingsley would have been in more episodes because I just liked his calmness, his his demeanor. Um, he didn't look rattled, even though toward the end, his entire plan was pretty much falling apart. Um, but he didn't he didn't let it rattle him. So I thought I, I thought I, I enjoyed him a little bit more than uh, the Tracys. Um, I thought uh, Wallace. He's another guy that I could have, you know, I would have liked to have seen more of. Um, but there's certain there's certain actors, like the actor that plays Kingsley and the one that plays Wallace, that you look at them and you can't ever remember them playing anything other than a villain. Um, I mean, I'm sure they probably have at some point, but I can't remember it um, because they're just so good at it. And that's what that's what I thought season two probably ranked a little bit uh, higher than season one. Overall, I probably like season one a little bit more because of the personal nature of it. Um, season two was more – you had to suspend your disbelief a little bit more in season two than in season one. But season one was more of a personal story. Like everything, for the most part, in season one you could – conceivably see happening because it was a very personal story with a personal vendetta. It was all about revenge. Season two was more, that's when the, the hallmark of uh, 24 started to take shape. The, uh, the global threat, um, the, uh, blowing up CTU, the whole, um, Race Against the Clock, so to speak, was more prevalent in season two. So season two was a little bit better than I remembered. But for the most part, um, season two is when you really started to see the hallmark of what made 24-24 start to take shape. It's also got the best episode of the show, so. Well, according to Bradley, yes. (laughs) <laughs> it is definitely a great episode episode uh, 15 if you missed one of our previous um episodes here so but also another thing that we mentioned in passing kind of last week was about the character max who was the guy above kingsley or maybe a couple guys above kingsley that was we found out toward the end that he was actually the one calling the shots um, or putting the everything together, um, and Kingsley was more of a pawn trying to do that. And then Bradley mentioned about um, Max being in the game 24, and so he was going to share some pieces about that. 
I have no well, clue. Ins- I've never played the game. <laughs> I've never I've never played it either, so I'm gonna let Bradley take this. Yeah. Yeah. I I replayed it a few months ago. Um <laughs> the interesting thing actually about Max in season two, just to come to that for a second, it, I, I did uh, I, I did find it very interesting that Peter Kingsley calls Max Sir on the phone to him. I think in the finale, um, when he's talking to him, he calls him Sir. And I mean it's kind of staggering, Joel, you mentioned about how Kingsley's sort of this great, calm um, masterminded villain, and yet he is reporting to a sir in Max. Um, so that sort of establishes very much what the power's like. That was a disconnect for me. What do you mean? Well, because, I mean, you look, like I said, I didn't play the game, so I don't know what Max was outside of uh, season two, but just looking at him, and then you look at Kingsley. I mean, Kingsley looks like the type that would just, you know, slit Max's throat if he was right next to him. <laughs> you know, Max, Max doesn't look like the type of person that should be giving Kingsley orders. That, that was just a, a disconnect for me because just the, the pictures didn't add up for me. Mm. Well, in the game, he um, there's a point where – so he has bought um, a governor, essentially, and his plan is – to try and smuggle nuclear weapons out of the country. So he kidnaps Kate Warner at one stage, um, uses her father to try and help him do that. Um, He targeted uh, Vice President Prescott for an assassination. Um, The idea was that the governor he's working with um, ends up sort of rising into power, in theory, um, in in return for supporting Max in in his criminal activities. Um, He ends up deciding that he's had enough of it and he can't be doing with it anymore. So Max brings out Mandy to kill him. Um, And then uh, you end up with a big shootout on Max's yacht, the yacht that he's in at the end of season two. Um, Jack and his team raid the yacht and kill Max and save Kate. Um, So Max in in the season, or sorry, in the game, is established as being a German arms dealer. He's got ties to the Middle East. Um, the U.S. government caught on to it, and his deals with the Middle East fell through, at which point his contacts there uh, decided to blame Max, and they took his children, and they executed them in front of him and forced him to watch. Um, and the theory that Tony and Jack pose in the game is that Max blames the U.S. for the fact that his children got killed, um, and that's why he attacks. Um and that's all there is to it, really. I mean, the game also introduces characters like Chase. Um, you get to see that he was working for CTU in... I can't remember where it was, what uh, what city he was working. But he, he ends up being... He's in an undercover uh, situation, and he ends up getting connected to Jack um, and, and Chloe as well. Chloe works in the same office as Chase somewhere else. I can't remember where it is. Um, and that's how they end up at CTU Los Angeles because they get dragged into this this terrorist plot that's happening in Los Angeles. Um, so you get to see the int- the intro stories for those guys as well, which is quite nice. Well, I guess I guess that kind of explains how uh, at the start of season three, you can kind of tell that uh, Chase and Chloe kind of have a a prior working relationship as they uh, Chase kind of takes a protective nature toward Chloe when, when Jack was blowing up at her. So I guess that explains it. Yeah. And the game of course was made, it was made in the time of season four released 
about four four or five episodes into the airing of season five, um, sort of March 2006, I think. Um, so obviously, you know, they've, they've established season three, it's been and gone, and they've made the game to fill in the gaps as opposed to um, sort of doing it around using the game to fill in the gaps that season three then later won't fill in. Um, it's been done in reverse. I mean, you also get uh, the introduction of Kim. It's the game is actually set on the, what happens to be Kim's first day at CTU. Uh, obviously, when we come to season three next week, we'll discover that she's now working at CTU as an analyst. Um, almost very fittingly, within three hours of Kim arriving, CTU is attacked, and her and Michelle have to sort of skulk around CTU to get to this safe room, and then. Kim makes it into the safe room and Michelle is taken hostage and Kim then has to sort of skulk her way around CTU, avoiding all the all the terrorists, climbing through the vents, occasionally stunning terrorists. Um, you can get a gun and shoot, but she's got very terrible aim and, and, and try and get to some, some information that they're trying to get and, and, and protect it. Um, so, I mean, Kim, I mean, Kim gets thrown straight into the deep end there. I mean, it's very typical Kim, isn't it? At least she doesn't get kidnapped this time. Uh, he, yeah, she does get kidnapped, actually. Um, the, the terrorist who attacks ETU, it's good Surprise. you remember, because I, I, I kind of forgot that. After she, she gets the information, and they're going to kill uh, all of the agents um, one at a time if, if, if it's not re- released to them, and Jeez. Kim obviously gives it back. And um, yeah, she gets kidnapped, and you, you have to do a does. few missions. You have to you have to do a couple of missions as Jack helping the terrorist, um, <clears throat> in order that Kim doesn't get killed by him. And you actually have to go and rescue her as well, which is a, a great couple of missions. Um, Adam Adam Kaufman also is introduced in the game, so a lot of the season three characters do end up getting introduced by the game, and obviously Max is wrapped up too. So Max dies. Max gets killed right at the end. Yeah, that's the last mission. You have to go into his yacht and take out all of his men and kill him. The the mission before is a really fun. Um, you you you're on a helicopter and you're just controlling the minigun on the helicopter, and you're shooting all of the 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 Max's bad guys on the yacht. It's so fun. It's so hard to control, but it is a lot of fun. Sounds I just like looked a- it up, but it looks like uh, Chase and Chloe were originally in D.C., Washington, yeah. D.C. There, so. Yeah. Oh, cool. So we've, we've talked a lot about um, David Palmer and his character, his presidency, and different things like that. And we've made several comments about um, the control that he has over himself and situations and his character being consistent throughout um, as he, he stands for, um, I don't know, truth, justice in the American way. I know that's Superman, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, but I mean, it, it, it falls, it works for him too. And so he, I mean, he's he's wanting to he he has a struggle between um, wanting to take the action that needs to be done, as he's constantly being pressed to make decisive action and 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 being decisive and things like that. But he's also wanting to make sure that he's make taking that action based on 
actual fact and not a fabrication. And so, so he has this appearance of looking weak potentially to his staff. But overall, I think his his character and his control and um, everything that he does was great, even with all the pressure that he's getting all over um, from everyone. I think it's what I was going to say. It's worth remembering that it's still with. I mean, this is set within the first year of his presidency, um, just based on the timeline of where season two and season three uh, meet. You do see that this is within the first year of his presidency. I mean, it's the most insane thing that he has to deal with. I know he and other presidents will end up having to deal with considerably worse in future seasons. But I mean, a nuclear bomb, it's and having to go to potentially go to war with the entire world, um, he does end up handling it fairly well, I'd say. Yeah, um, I mean, aside aside from the, you know, Torturing Roger Stanton and locking locking news reporters up in dark rooms, and, you know. But other than that, he handled it great. Both of those were justified. <laughs> yeah, eh, not sure the rule book coincide with that. Um, but I thought I thought was, I thought season two was it was a little bit more. Uh, it got President Palmer out of his element a little bit. Um, I'm still, <clears throat> I'm still not okay with the 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 turn of uh, Mike Novick. I'm still not okay with that. I will never be okay with that because Mike and Mike and David that was like Batman and Robin. You know that was a that was a relationship that was never supposed to change. Um, so seeing that turn. Um, Late in the season was uh, kind of a gut wrencher, even though I knew it was coming because I've seen it a thousand times. Um, but I thought, given the circumstances, and I also I also like how every season the president is from a different location. You know, they could easily they could easily just you know stash the president in the White House every season and just go go from there. But I like how the, the president is pretty much in a different location every season. And it kind of adds to the, the unpredictability and it makes it not as uh, formulaic, I guess you could say. Um, but I thought, you know, given the circumstances, aside from, you know, torturing folks, I thought he handled it pretty pretty well. Um, but it also shows his commitment to Jack Bauer and his, the amount of, just remember, 18 months prior to this, you know, he, it had been, a couple, I don't think he had ever been in the same room with Jack, you know, before season one. Um, and he didn't really, other than, you know, Jack being on the mission that he authorized um, in Kosovo, I don't think he really knew Jack from a can of paint and the amount of trust that he had developed for Jack in those 18 months to not only bring him out of, I guess, retirement, I guess you could say, and basically withdrawing a military attack because Jack thinks that the recording is fabricated shows the amount of, it shows the 
development of their relationship and how much trust he had in Jack when 18 months prior, you know, he was, when he saw Jack for the first time, he was ready to lock him up. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting dynamic seeing that relationship kind of develop. And even though season one is the only time you'll ever see them in the same room together, um, it's kind of, it's kind of neat to see how that relationship and that bond kind of develops within season two. It's also a suggestion about David that he is very much loyal to the people who are loyal to him. Um, obviously Jack throughout season one, you know, it's at times didn't had an old way of showing it, but was always looking out for David trying to protect him from the assassination attempts. Um, I mean, we have no idea what kind of relationship they've had in the 18 months between Terry's death and where we pick up in season two. Uh, I think in their conversation at the start of the season, it's, it's a little bit of, we haven't talked in a while. I don't know what's happened, how much contact they had in the interim, obviously Jack being very detached, um, not really doing stuff for CTU, et cetera. But I mean, like you say, I mean, we see here that it, it is just an almost unbreakable bond. Um, and apart from granting Jack's death wish, um, David goes fully out of his way in the most absurd possible fashion uh, to try and to try and keep to keep um, keep faith in him. I mean, it, it it does say a lot about David. And you look at the Cypress recording in particular. Um, we know from being breaking the fourth wall. We're watching the show. We know what's happening. We know that Jack's right, but it is absolutely crazy for David to wait on. Jack Bauer forever, essentially, before attacking these countries when they've got the evidence to show that they should attack these countries. It's been verified by everyone possible that could possibly verify it. They have said this is a legitimate recording. And yet David still said, no, no, we're going to wait on Jack Bauer. It's, it, I mean, the, 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 the way that his character is just, this is what we're going to do. This is, you know, we're going to make sure every angle's covered. And we're not going to rush into it. No matter how much pressure I'll get from the cabinet, from the American people, we're going to take our time. We're going to get it right. Um, I think that just says pretty much everything about his character, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to say about the trust that is between the two of them to where, to where I mean, if, if Jack was not in the picture... And I mean, and he was fate. And if it was probably anybody else that came and said, I don't think the recording is real. He would say, yeah, but look at all these people that, that have said it is real. It's, there's no way it's been fabricated. All these tests that have been done or whatever. I think, I mean, Jack was probably maybe one out of a handful of people that, could potentially sway the president in that. And so, yeah, and I think that just kind of goes back. I mean, even just what we know of Jack and David's relationship, um, Jack has proven over and over that his gut is usually right in a lot of these situations. And Jack doesn't go, go off just on a maybe hunch. It's, it's like, okay, he really believes what it is and it 
usually, and whether he has the uh, the evidence or not, he he tries to get the evidence, which is obviously what the whole second half is about, or almost half. And and so he he does that, and so I, I don't know. I, I I think it really does, as you guys said, just really plays to his trust in Jack and the relationship that they have. And I think that speaks a lot then as we get into season three then um, starting next week because their relationship is just strengthened even more as they go into what they face in season three. I mean, if Michelle is, if Michelle is the one to call David Palmer and say, I don't believe the, the recording is real. Sayed Ali has said it's not real. Um, Sayed Ali has just been killed 10 minutes after saying that it's not real. I don't think David believes her Mm -hmm. or at the very least doesn't go out of his way to stop the attack based on this. I I think, I I think that that's the reason she went to Jack in the first place. Um, Because Michelle could have easily, you know, taken this above Tony's head and, you know, ran it up the chain of command. Um, She could very easily have done that herself. But I think Michelle was aware that Jack has more <clears throat> um, what do I say? Uh, dependability. He's got more sway with the president. Yeah, he's he's got he's got a little bit more stroke, so to speak. Um, his his word carries a little bit more weight than than hers. Not because of anything she's done but because of Jack's tenure and his history with the president. So I think that's why she brings Jack into this, because she knows that if there's any possible chance that this recording could be fabricated, Jack is going to want to find out. And Jack is going to want to find out whether it's fabricated or not. If there's even a slight chance of it not being authentic, Jack is going to want to find this out and get it to the president. Well, also you have the fact that pretty much every person didn't even want to look into the possibility that it was fabricated other than the initial test that they did. It's like once they, they came back that, oh, it's real. Nobody wanted to even acknowledge that there's a possibility that it's fake. And it's like, okay, that's a waste of time. I mean, you remember when Chappelle came in and Tony is saying, uh, saying, yeah, we're, we're, we have this. Jack is looking into this and we have this segment over here and Chappelle's like, I want everybody on, on this, on this attack. And he says, well, I have most everybody. He's like, no, I want everybody. He didn't want any attention drawn away from, from, from the task at hand. It's like, everybody was like that. Uh, the president's cabinet and his staff and it's like, everybody was so focused on the fact that it was a real recording and we're going to take action. No one wanted to acknowledge that there's a, even a slight possibility, and maybe we should have one person look into it. No one wanted to do that except for David and Michelle and Jack and eventually Tony. But at first, Tony didn't even want to look into it. Ryan so, Chappelle does not accept that alternative opinions exist. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's basically it, that he is correct, and that's it. Yeah, and you could see... Like the when when Chappelle was you know after he had relieved uh, Tony and 
he had Tony and Michelle put in the interrogation room and everything like that. And the phone call he gets from Mike Novick after Mike finally comes around that, okay, there's something to this. And Mike tells him to divert all his resources to helping Jack. And you could see, like, Chappelle's face just turned pale. Like, his, his whole... His whole demeanor changed. Like, are you tell are you telling me I spent the past few hours telling everybody to ignore Jack, and now I'm supposed to help him? <laughs> so, <laughs> Ryan, because Ryan knew at that point he was going to have to basically eat his words, swallow his pride, and ask uh, Tony Michelle for help because he knew that Tony Michelle were the only ones that had a line to Jack. So that that was probably one of my top five favorite moments of the season. I mean, it would have cut the season six episode short because you'd have run out of content. But imagine if they had actually expended like five people into helping Jack, and they'd actually kind of gone, "Well, you know what? We're gonna have ninety percent of our personnel everywhere approaching the war footing, but we're gonna have ten percent just helping Jack, just on the off chance that he's right." <coughs> and ima- like, imagine if they'd done that, and how easy it would have been. I mean, they'd have, they'd have had the recording back at half one in the morning, and there we go, done. Two, two, eight, eight a.m. till two a.m. The new eighteen-hour, twenty-four season. Yeah, mm-hmm. we wouldn't we wouldn't have had to spend fifteen episodes on this recording. But you wouldn't have got Peter <laughs> Kingsley, so. Uh. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, there, there's. Yeah, there's a, probably a lot we can continue to say. And we'll definitely get into more about David and Jack and their relationship and all that as we go forward. But with Kim, I I don't know how much time we want to spend on this, but we've said it Not many times to where her, <laughs> her storyline is a little season. bit of time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I we mean, we can get we can give her five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to give her undue time as they did in this season. Um, yeah, a lot of her storyline was unnecessary. They drug it on much longer. We've talked about that as we, we've gone on, but we, we could have done well with just having highlights and like little mentions here and there. And that's, that's it. I mean, the phone calls with Jack. Okay. Keep all those. But other than that, okay. Just let her do her thing. But the, the calls with Jack and then. The last four episodes where she goes back to Gary's house and then has to kill Gary and then uh, Kate has to come rescue her and then her interactions at CTU and with Jack in the finale, as I mentioned last week, I thought were great. And obviously in the in the uh, episode 15, her, calls, her call to Jack, her goodbye call, um, again, terrific. Everything else is just so bad. It's so, so bad. I mean, we, we, we sort of, it's the last thing I put on the notes list. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for every week because it's just, like, it doesn't connect to anything. There's no flow that, you know, there's nothing that it's, it's entirely separate to everything else that's going on in the main story. Every, everything that happens with Kim only happens because of the nuclear bomb. So in that way it's connected, everything else is completely separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does often feel like it is in a different show. It doesn't ever feel, uh, like it is in actually 24. It feels like it should be part of something completely different. Um, I don't feel like her existence in the season makes a whole lot of sense beyond Jack being concerned for his daughter 
in a city that's about to be blown up by a nuclear bomb. Beyond that, there's no existence for Kim in this season at all. And they end up giving her an existence with these ridiculous sort of soap opera plots um, throughout, you know, the, the abuse of Gary Matheson, the fact that she ends up technically kidnapping um, the daughter. There's an assault that she ends up being a murder suspect. Uh, her and Miguel cause a car accident. And she, call, and she causes Miguel to lose his leg. Um, obviously the coyote, the infamous coyote. Um the, the creepy dude the creepy dude at the cabin the store robbery it ju- just goes on and on and on and on and on and it's so tiresome because none of it is exciting none of it's interesting none of it feels engaging none of it actually is anything that you want to watch mm-hmm. I've said this before and I'm going to call myself before I do this but I've said this before that it feels that it feels like at the end of season one they had signed they had signed her on to be a recurring character in season two, and they thought to themselves, okay, well, we got to give her something to do, and this is what they came up with. Like the the subplot with with Gary took way too long. That that subplot with Gary could have been wrapped up in about five episodes. Um, it really because. You had the you had the whole first half of the season dealing with it, and then you had Gary disappear for like I don't know ten twelve episodes, and then all of a sudden he just pops back up long enough to get shot. So it's, it's all all of that could have been cut down to the first half of the season. Gary should have been dead by season by episode seven. Um, so that I thought, and then all the little subplots in the middle, like you know the store robbery and the, and the, the weird dude, and you know it just felt like it was just something to kind of bide her time and give her something to do to justify the episode count that they had signed her up for. Because unlike season one, where you could you could kind of see her justification in season one because her kidnapping tied to the overall plot. It made sense because it, it tied to the overall nature of uh, getting Jack to do what they wanted Jack to do. So in that respect, I understood. In season two, it was just so out of bounds from everything else. Like other than the fact that they were trying to get out of the city because there's a bomb. Other than that, everything just felt so out of place. Like you would have a regular flow of, of events, you know, with Jack trying to stop the bomb and uh, going undercover and everything like that. And then it's like you would just take a break and go see what Kim was doing. And I felt like it's just it interrupted the it interrupted the flow of the of the episode for me because I would be watching everything just smooth from one scene to the next and then it's and then it's like okay here's Kim you know what is Kim doing and I felt like it's exactly it's let's we 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 take a break from your regularly scheduled broadcast to see what Kim Bauer is doing (laughs) you know so it's after break refill your drink (laughs) it, it, it felt so out of place like I'm sitting here watching Jack you know do what Jack does and then 
all of a sudden, you know, here's Kim going to the bathroom. So I was, I was like, what, what are we doing right now? So I, I just felt like most of her purpose in season two was just to, other than those last few episodes, you know, after she finally killed Gary, um, I just felt like the rest of the, the rest of the season was just kind of filler just to give her something to do to justify, you know, signing her on for season two. Season one doesn't work without Kim or certainly doesn't work anywhere near as well. Season two improves if you take Kim out of it, I feel. And that's the, that's the critical difference. I think that season one is built very much around Kim in a way in, in the sense of, you know, her disappearing is the thing that gets Jack into the, the, the Palmer games, Drazen's stuff. It, it's Kim's disappearance that fuels that. Uh, and of course, you know, it's Kim's disappearance at the end and her kidnapping at the end that fuels all the stuff at the end. Season two, she fuels nothing. She just exists very much on her own, separate to everything else. And like I said, it's just never, it's never engaging. It's never, it never works. Um, I think you, I think, you know, I said that you, I think I said that you could have her, that she exists because Jack wants to get her out of the city. Fine. But equally, if you'd said in the first episode that Jack is living by himself in Los Angeles and Kim has, you know, she's she's moved in with her aunt because she doesn't like living with Jack, uh, all the memories of her mum, and she's gone and lived with her aunt because she just wants to get away from Los Angeles, wants to get away from Jack, wants to get away from the vicinity of CTU, all of this, fine. She lives in Santa Barbara. She's not in danger of the nuclear bomb at all. That's it. Maybe she appears a couple of times on the phone to Jack. That's all that's all that you need from Kim. That's all that she would actually contribute of value to season two. Um and I think it would improve as a result. Um and it's, I mean, it's part of the reason why I I like in season three, which obviously we'll come on to next week, I, I like that they, they put her in CTU. Um it gives her something to do, it gives her a reason to exist in the story. Um you can much easier integrate her into things in CTU, okay, as we'll discuss, not all the stuff that involves her in, in season three is particularly good, but at least being in CTU, being at the heart of it, being connected to Chase and to Jack and to Michelle and to Adam and all the other characters that are at CTU and, and are critical to everything else that's happening in the story, I think that they get away with some of the subpar stuff that they don't in this season simply because she's part of the centre of the machine rather than being this cog in the corner that actually doesn't need to be there. You can take it out and the machine will still run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It actually and makes run sense. better probably. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the things though, as, as you mentioned, I, I think, um, or at least alluded to is that I think having Kim in the season is definitely necessary. Just not in the way that they did it because, Kim is, is is a very big part of Jack in in as far as his uh, his motivation and just kind of like his internal struggles and things like that. She's a big part of that because that's the family that he has left. Um, other than the ones that we're not going to talk about in season six yet, but. Uh, but but yeah, so I mean, because 
after that, I mean, they're both struggling after Terry's death. And, and I mean, Jack wants to reconnect with Kim. He just doesn't quite know how, but he, he lacks the, one of the few things I think he lacks the confidence in and lacks the ability of knowing what to do and all of that. But the events of the season two, um, I, I think especially of like the, that conversation we talked about it that Jack has with George on the plane as George kind of, I don't know, I guess, I don't know. We're like, kind of really gets back into Jack's head and really kind of wakes Jack back up. And he says, you still have a life, Jack. You want to be a real hero? Here's what you do. You get back down there and you put the pieces together. You find a way to forgive yourself for what happened to your wife. You made things right with your daughter and you go on serving your country. That takes some real guts. So that was um, part of that conversation there that really got Jack's attention and woke him up and i think then all the events together really work together to help jack to see okay maybe taking my life isn't the answer and i can contribute i can make a difference i mean especially you think after the fact if jack went down with the plane what would have happened with the cypress recording there would be nobody to track that down but um and so i i think he's he was able to put these things together and then being able to work with Kim and restore that relationship. You see that slowly being put back together through the day. Um, a little bit at the beginning um, when, when he tells her to get out of the, out of the city and she trusts him enough to know, okay, he's serious. He cares for me. And th- there's some of that that's going on. And then, and then obviously the big moment in season uh, or in episode 15 when they when he's in the plane and they have that goodbye call. Um, I think that really drove them both to realize, okay, we're missing this relationship. Even though there's some some bad blood or, or whatever, negative thoughts and things like that or potential blame and things like that. Okay, all of that doesn't matter because – at least we could have each other. And so I think after that point, that's, that's where they were. They're like, okay, yeah, there's some things that happened, not good, but we're together at least. And that's kind of where we find them at the end of the season going into season three. I do feel like season two has the most growth in Jack. Um, I mean, he starts the day, as you say, very detached from Kim. He starts the day sort of willing to die um, and sort of seemingly willing himself to die. Uh, we talked before about the scene where he just goes back to his apartment and just collapses onto the sofa um, and ends the day still willing to die. And obviously he did die at one stage, but it feels like that at that point he's only willing to die for his work, for the cause, for the, you know all this stuff that he's doing to help the president, to help CTU, to help the country. That feels like now that's his what he's trying to do. And he, if he dies doing that, fine but i don't think he's now by the end of the day of the opinion as he was at the start of the day which is if i walked into traffic and got killed by a lorry driving into me i'd be okay with that i feel like that's where he's at at the start of the season and i feel like that's not where he's at at the end of the season um like you said the relationship with kim gets a lot better as we go on 
there's that conversation at the start where she says that she's not ready. And by the end, I mean, she clearly is ready. Uh, and I think it's a little bit of just relief that he's still alive. Uh, I mean, it, you know, unsurprisingly that a near death experience or a potential, you know, thinking that he's going to die changes her perspective on things. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a good season for Jack in terms of character development. I feel like season one <clears throat> doesn't do a massive amount simply because we're just learning all of this stuff about him. I feel like a lot of the time it's just things we're uncovering about him. Um, so, you know, the, t- the torture angle of Ted Kofel or the, the fake Ted Kofel, I should say, in episode 10, it feels like, well, we just haven't really had a chance to see that yet. It's not. He's this calm, chess-playing dad who happens to do a little bit of government work at the start of season one. It's not like he goes from that to torturing someone with a, a wet towel. He's like that. He just has a very good way of disguising it. Whereas season two, it does feel very much like he starts at one place and he ends at another. And the events of the day have caused directly for him to go from A to B. It, um, I mean, you can tell that Jack pretty much had a death wish from the beginning of season two on um, up until obviously episode uh, 15. Um, And I think he feels like it's not so much, it's not so much death wish because he just wants to die, but Jack directly or indirectly blames himself for Terry's death. He blames, you know, regardless of, you know, he trusted Nina and Nina betrayed him and everybody else and he lost his wife because of it. Um, You can even tell there's even a conversation between him and Chase in season three where he says, I lost my wife because of this job. So he, whether directly or indirectly, he blames himself for losing, for his wife's death. Um... And I think a part of him feels like him dying may be what's best for Kim. He feels like, you know, Kim doesn't want anything to do with me. She's ashamed. Um, She, you know, tried to repair the relationship. She goes, she's not ready. Maybe me not being around will be better for her because um, just just Kim seeing Jack reminds her of his wife's death, of her mother's death. So I think, I think that combined with the fact that he blames himself for it, he probably feels, you know, deep down that maybe, maybe my death is better for Kim. She can go on, she can live her life. She can, you know, do whatever. Um, as crazy as that sounds. But that's probably what part of him was thinking. And I think that talk from, from George in the plane kind of brought him back to reality a little bit. Like, okay, I'm an idiot. This is not the right way to go. You know, I need to get back down there and I need to make things right with Kim. And I need to repair that relationship um, because it's the right thing to do. You know, this this would be the easy way out. You know, the, the right way to go would be to get down, make things right, stop this from happening and repair the relationship 
with my daughter. And I think, um, you know, George was, was pretty deplorable for about a season and a half. But uh, <laughs> he kind of he redeemed himself in those last, uh, those last couple of episodes there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, so we have have all this stuff, and we can even see that the um, I, I just looked it up. So between season two and season three, there's about three years. And so when we get in the beginning of season three, we can see that the relationship between Jack and Kim generally pretty good. I mean, it's probably not perfect. I mean still Jack and Kim there's always something tugging between them but certainly pretty good so so they have this three years to be able to make up time the year and a half that they basically spent a part or however much of that they they were apart and so yeah um, and so you can also see that I think if I remember correctly Jack even still struggles with the depression going into season three as he's struggling with the with the drugs and all of that and um i think it's chase that makes some kind of comment about like like it like he's trying to kill himself or something or or whatever or numb the pain or i can't remember the exact context but we'll get into that a little bit more and so we still see that it's still something that jack struggles with over time and um it's still kind of the terry's death still lingers and the sting of it and the depression and all of that still continues. I think, I think he struggles with it up until the time that he meets Audrey. I think, I think the relationship with Audrey was probably the, the one that drew him the most out of his uh, depressed state. Um, because I mean, you never really felt that Kate was uh, <clears throat> a long-term solution. Um, and I think uh, Audrey and then later on uh, Renee, I think those are the two that kind of pulled him the most out of his depressed state as far as uh, getting back into a relationship after his wife after his wife died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode today, wrap up season two. We're never going to talk about season two ever again. No, not really. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be possible, but we're going, to move possible. On to se- <laughs> we're going to move on to season three next week. Thank you for listening. Glad to be here to be able to discuss 24 and we love to hear your feedback as well. We didn't get any this last week, but uh, if you want to be able to do that, you can give us a call. Area code is 405-771-0567. You can leave a voice message that way. Haven't had anybody do that yet, but feel free to do that. I realize that's probably restricted to the U.S., um, so if you're listening outside the U.S., that's probably not as easy for you, but we do have our website. You can go to 24faithful.com and be able to um, contact us that way as well. So thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.